Hi, I'm George Tekmanjov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for another Eastern Target Archery podcast. The pandemic podcast continues, Steve. Man, uh, what a deal, huh? Well, I know it's uh, had you a bit confused as to date and time, things of that nature. Yeah, that, that could be true. I, I might, you know, but one of our uh, good friends in, uh, in Australia did point out that actually... I was correct as far as their point of view was concerned. So if you were in Japan, if you're one of our listeners in Australia or in New Zealand, you knew what I was all about. It's just Steve was the one that was off by a day. So so for those wondering, George messaged me on Wednesday and said, hey, do you want to podcast on Friday? And I said, yes. So then George jumped on both the Eastern Target Facebook and his own Facebook and wrote, podcast tomorrow. And I made the jokes that, when you're, you know, on lockdown from a pandemic and you don't have to wear pants every day, it becomes easy to forget what day it is. And uh, today was Wednesday, tomorrow being Thursday at the time, right? And it was obvious George was confused on his day. So his plus 16-hour folk tried to save him. But I have I have one question to that. It's Go ahead. like if a, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it you know did it really fall well if if it's friday in australia but i'm not there to experience it is it really friday Ooh, i'm not even going to touch that one (laughs) but just for the record yes not only was i wearing pants i was wearing two pair of pants (laughs) yeah yeah me too totally yeah so anyway onward and upward Wow, uh, a lot to talk about. Yesterday, um, on the 30th of uh, April, as we record this on May Day, May 1st, um, we saw that World Archery's board got together, the uh, board of directors, the the group that, uh, the executive board, that decides basically everything. And so some new developments. Um, the executive board has extended the hiatus on international competition now until August 31st, which is in alignment with what a lot of European countries are doing as far as uh, outdoor events. The Netherlands, for example, uh, said no public events till September 1st. So this is in alignment with that. You know, this started in in March, then it got extended as this whole uh, COVID-19 situation has continued to evolve. But they did say that they will recognize national events on July 1st. Up until now, no national level events would be eligible for world archery recognition, which means no records could be set, things of that nature. Now, anything after July 1st on a national basis will be um, recognized by WA, Steve. So that, that puts a number of events that are on the USA archery calendar back in contention for potential uh, record status, uh, including things like the, uh, the Buckeye event in Ohio. Um, you know, a number of other events that are, that are going on around the country, um, going forward. And of course the, uh, the autumn stuff, the stuff that normally would have been, you know, around this time of year, that's been pushed forward, like SoCal showdown and the Arizona cup, the Gator cup, all of those in October and November now. And uh, Buckeye Classic, I will point out, though, I, I, I think I actually am misspeaking. No, actually, I'm right. Uh, because August 28th to 30 puts it in the window of when WA will start to accept national events. And that's uh, so st- that starts in July. It, uh, 
It's not as complicated as it sounds. It's basically saying that <laughs> as far as a national event goes, you're, you're good to go after July. Which is, you know, I mean, that's, that's progress, considering. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I imagine most of their world archery's, you know, reason for delays, yes, it lines up with what a lot of European countries are doing. But it also, you got to have time to prep for an event that's now, you know, a lot of times these World Cups, they know, they, they know two, three years in advance that they've got an event coming. Right. They have, they have at least a year to prepare, right? Yeah, now we've compressed now that with, down. Yeah, now some of them, it sounds like they're going to try to do some events and it's going to get, it's a, it's a matter of scheduling and figuring that out and then getting some folks who can get an event put together, a world-class event put together in a matter of a couple of months. So I, it's cool. I think we're, you know, we're, we're looking like we're going to see some archery contested again here soon that's exciting well at least it won't be a completely lost season like we're seeing in some other sports you know i mean right now some motorsports for example looks like maybe not a single event for some of these things and some of the some of the football clubs out there you know soccer clubs out there are not going to be able to compete till you know i mean sometime from now i mean there's a number of sports that are adversely affected by this certainly anything with physical contact is going to be adversely affected so fortunately with archery we don't have that that kind of problem um usa archery target nationals and joad target nationals and field nationals are all still on the calendar no changes to those dates so that's all potentially good news and then one really interesting thing yesterday the uh, executive board of world archery decided that the world archery congress is going to be in Yankton at the World Championship next year. The Outdoor Target World Championship was scheduled for Yankton for next year, and now they're saying the Congress is going to be there too, and that's going to be very interesting. Were they planning Congress at another time? Well, see, last year they changed the rules so that Congress could take place separately from the World Championship, and I think the the inside baseball on that the well the idea was maybe they would do it somewhere else besides yankton you know at the time but now it looks like um they're they're more than happy to do it in yankton and so that's a good thing i guess i'm uh i was i was unsure of whether they would contest the world championships with the olympics being moved so that comes as news to me as well I, i don't know well you know i think they've got to try to prevent the accordioning of all of these events getting stuffed into a relatively short time frame. I mean, it's, yeah, for sure, uh, the everything gets driven by what's happening with the Olympic Games, right? I mean, that is the big dog, and all the little dog events, even the world championships, have got to follow. Um, but, you know, the the exe- just to recap what's happened, the Executive Board of World Archery has extended the hiatus on all international competition until August 31st of this year, of 2020. Um, So they're going to start recognizing national events in July, July 1st. So uh, competitions after that can be used to claim world records and performance awards and minimum qualifying scores for major events. That's the big thing to consider. The other thing is they're going to freeze the world rankings. Those will remain frozen for some time. And, and right now, just to be sure, no international events are confirmed for the rest of 2020. All the stuff I talked about earlier, those are all national-level events. 
There is a draft calendar for the last few months of the year to try to pull some stuff out of the fire on this thing in the hope that restrictions are lifted and the situation will be safe for archers to go back to the competition field. But right now, they're saying there will be no new events announced with less than two months' notice. And so, uh, you know, uh, until we uh, you know, know for sure what's happening, we don't even know if World Field is going to take place in Yankton. And that's, according to Bruce Cull this morning, he told me it'll be June 1st when that decision is made. Yeah, let's... Uh, let's head over to the uh, Facebook questions, shall we? Yeah, it's like the admin of, you know, talking about scheduling is, it's already lost me. I'm sure it's losing the <laughs> listeners as well. Fair enough. Hey, we've got uh, our Easton Target Archery Facebook page uh, at Easton uh, Target Archery. And uh, we got a number of questions from, from our listeners. So uh, let's let's dive into that. You got that in front of you, Steve? I am loading it up in front of me now. All right. Well, there's a, one question from Steve right away. And um, it's not a bad question. It's an interesting one. It's from Eric. Um, and we've talked about this before. Uh, the question is for Steve. Do you, do you aim and wait for the shot to break by mainly focusing on the bow hand? Or do you put the pin on the target, let it float, and execute the shot, focusing more on the release hand? Uh, you hope it's the you hope it's the first part because you hope the release is happening automatic. Um, you aim and wait for it. Yes, and there's days where you have to you have to consciously start thinking through a piece of your shot sequence, and a lot of times that is your your release hand. If you're hanging up, if you're not shooting good, you know those things have to be considered. So. It's uh, you like I said. You hope you hope that you're just aiming and waiting, but sometimes you need to focus on a singular piece of your shot sequence that might need some attention. And hopefully, you know you've put in the work and you've got a good enough foundation that the rest of it kind of comes through subconsciously. You know, I'll point out that uh, it is a valuable thing to have the ability to focus on one thing while you're executing the shot, whether you're shooting a compound or a recurve. Frequently, that kind of focus can really help you if you've got the rest of your shot down and can allow the subconscious to take care of those things. So either way, um, it's, it's good to be able to focus on a single aspect of the shot. Yeah, yeah, either way. I mean, there's always something I want to kind of drive home you know in my brain and like i said you hope you hope that you're in a position where it's almost on autopilot but even then when you're like oh everything's rolling everything's shooting good you still need to have that one area of focus and that goes from pre-shot to you know full draws everything sometimes that area of focus is just as simple as make sure you set your sight (laughs) for shooting field archery you know all right Quite a a different question comes from uh, Tom Parkinson. He'd like to know our thoughts on bringing some sort of sanctioned 3D shoots out west, such as an ASA Western region event. He points out that we have many big-name archers west of the Mississippi that would bring people in, people like yourself, Steve, and uh, Gillingham, and the Schaffs, and the Wilds, and Henry Bass, and Kyle Douglas, just to name a few. And um, he says he knows that population and location is important, but he thinks there's money to be made out west. He says, the only thing we have is Paris and Reading. 
And I don't think there is any IBO qualifiers out here anymore. And then he talks about the bow companies out here in the, uh, and the, and the, uh, you know, the manufacturers out here in the West. Um, and how there's a few areas like Boise and Salt Lake and Billings and Denver with easy access. So he wants to know why is it only back East? And so, you know, I, I, I think that's an interesting topic. Uh, I think one thing is the distance involved. The, the ASA does count on a lot of people driving to the event from, say, a radius of eight hours. Um, and even within four hours, they could probably fill up an ASA, whereas you'd be looking at 16 hours for Westerners for the most part. Yeah. They, they need to be able to put together, basically, I mean, you'd have to be about 1,000-plus people to make it worthwhile. And then you're relying, again, on manufacturers to foot part of that bill and get involved and they get you know manufacturers get stretched thin supporting industry as well so it's it's mostly like you alluded to the driving in the south they've built the asa up to such a point where yeah now they can get 1400 to 2000 people with the vast majority of those driving to the event yeah within a reasonable drive too i mean a day's drive at the most yeah, a lot of people you talk to them at the ASA, they're driving yeah eight ten hours. Some of them a little more, fourteen or so. But again, it's a it's a day's drive. And out here, you know, there is a day's drive from you know say Salt Lake to Denver. It's only seven hours or so, or down to Phoenix, you know, eight eight hours. Um, and even Reading, you know, that's about eleven hours for us here. But there's just not the mass of archers our population density isn't as high and our you know the uh the number of bow hunters and archers and target archers just isn't there compared to what's in the the east and the southeast to to draw the kind of numbers yep oddly enough here in the western united states the per capita number of archers is less even though i would say statistically we have more top shooters out here um, you know, obviously there's exceptions. You've got people like Levi and Jesse and, and, you know, those guys are Eastern guys. But if you look at the big picture, the per capita, uh, number of shooters versus the number of top shooters coming out of that relatively limited pool, uh, you know, it's, it's what it is. We okay. always joke about the, the golden triangle that's, uh, Utah, Idaho, Montana. We, we've got quite a few competitive archers in that, in that arena there so yeah I'd just it, like yeah. point out tom who who asked that question is is my string builder he's got a shop in mountain home idaho he was a 30-year air force veteran retired out of mountain home air force base and uh still runs a little shop there and still works on the base super good guy makes really good bow strings and he's big reason why i've gotten to point i have in the archery industry and and in my shooting career nice great shout out thank you for that question tom um rohafizan is asking for uh for my recurve perspective he's saying that provided the string size and or weight remain the same how much string material and its characteristics can influence arrow tune. How much difference is there between softer materials like Spectra, D97, 8125, Fast Flight Plus, compared to materials like Mercury, uh, 8190, or BCYX? It, you know, here's the thing. It all comes down, really, to, to two separate, or really three separate things. Uh, you've got to figure out how is the string diameter interfacing with the knock, because that's going to have an impact. 
you've got to look at um, how the string follows through on the shot because that's going to that's going to affect things. And you know, fundamentally, how much mass weight's involved. So if you look at if you add say ten grains to your overall string mass, that's going to have the effect of about three grains added to the back of the arrow. So it's actually not that significant. So he's he, saying like if the diameter and the weight are the same, then that the third part, basically like the elasticity, how far it moves beyond brace at the shot, that's really all that would make the difference, right? Yeah, but the other factor you got to consider is how many twists you have in the thing. For example, let's say that we're using, oh, I don't know, one of those blends with Vectran in it, and I put a bunch of twists in it which is what a lot of the top shooters that used those things used to do. I mean, we're talking 80 twists or more. Uh, you're turning it into a spring. So you're taking away the, the you know, the, the stiffness, if for want of a better term, factor. Versus, say, a relatively soft material, or at least one that's perceived that way, like, like original Angel Dyneema, with very few twists. The Dyneema will actually... Flat, it'll it'll actually be less elastic and it'll you know shoot a little harsher potentially. So there's too many variables to be able to just say this material always shoots differently than this material. Now to be sure, there's going to be some subtle differences, but it's it's not a major difference. All of these materials, for the most part, uh, work pretty much the same. To be honest, on a recurve bow. Greg, uh, Greg in Australia. Uh, is looking for information to create a training plan. He says he understands that arrow count is important, but he feels there's a lot more to it, and any help would be great. And also, he wants to have any thoughts on coming down to Oz for a shot or two once we get back to normal. And, and uh, absolutely, Greg, uh, Australia's a beautiful place, and um, I'm sure once things get back to normal, whatever normal may be in the future, we're all going to uh, look forward to the next opportunity to shoot down under. But uh, to, to your question, uh, Steve, what do you think for, for somebody looking to set up a training plan going beyond arrow count? Um, I, I have some thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, and I don't have a, I don't have a formally written down type training plan. You know, if you wanted to set up a, a more regimented type plan, what you'd want to do is have your you'd have your peak arrow count days. You know, and then you taper off and it, look at it like a track athlete, right? They're not going to do their hardest workout at the beginning of the week or at the end of the week. Typically, their hardest workout is on a say. Say you're training Monday through Saturday. Typically, your hardest workout would be like on a Tuesday. Um, and then if you're if you're in a span where you don't have a lot of competition, now you can put more volume into into play. Then you want to taper back down as you get closer to competition. So it's always it's it's a peak training, right? You're ramping up, and then you're working at your max volume for a little while, and then you're tapering down and, and focusing on minute details and trying to sharpen everything um, as you get into to competition season. So for a lot of a lot of people, like right now, I'm I haven't shot much in the last sixty days. It's like one time. So what I'm likely going to start doing is start ramping up to you know from say 50 arrows a day maybe a, a little more up to you know beyond 100 and then as we get back closer to tournaments i'm not you know i'm not going to have a 200 arrow day or anything like that but it's just a matter of 
working the towards a peak and then sharpening the the small things as you get closer to competition. There's two other factors that I think come into play when you're putting a training plan together. One of them is your mental training plan because that's obviously in my mind, at least as important a factor as how many arrows you shoot. And then beyond that one, you have the need for keeping an eye on things like nutrition and uh, whatever physical training program you're doing beyond shooting a bow, like cardio or weightlifting, things of those natures. And it's all going to depend on your personal circumstances. But keep in mind that a complete training plan is far more than just shooting. It's you know, it's keeping track of your body, your health, your, your, uh, you know, some, some athletes will refer to biorhythm as being one of those factors. You know, it's like training for any other athletic endeavor. You're going to peak at a certain point and you might want to back time what you're doing in order to achieve that peak. So all of those things are, are areas that, uh, apply to archery and certainly can profit you if you pay attention to them. Every single one of those can, can really matter. So uh, I hope that gives you a starting point for some stuff. Steve Mike is asking, parabolic versus shield for the current compound archer that won't be attending Reading, pros and cons. Is there an inside joke I'm missing here? No, I'm just seeing all the comments on that, and it, got, it led to quite the discussion. Yes, so. it did. That's why I'm wondering what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't have an answer for that, so I'm not going to act like I do, but... Uh, so I'll, I'll just uh, I'll throw out a quick thing here. You know, uh, parabolic yeah. has a little less drag. Shield has a little more drag for a given surface area. So you know you, you can prove that to yourself. Just shoot a shield versus a parabolic, and the shield will drop a little more. It'll certainly make more noise headed downrange. Um, as far as a practical application, no, I don't think I don't think there's anything that you know you're not going to. How far is that long shot at Reading? 101 yards, is it? Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about the difference as long as you've got my, your sight marks yeah. on. Uh, my my point was just going to be drag is drag, you know, and if one is creating more than the other and that's better than good. If it's creating more than the other and that's worse than bad. So I, I don't know. I always say fletch what you're confident in fletching, what you like as a vein, you know, in, in terms of it sticks, it's got the durability you're after. Uh, and it looks how you want it to look. It, it, let's be honest, aesthetic, it matters. It, there's a lot of people who say aesthetic doesn't matter. And I say, yeah, it does. Because if you had two things that were equal and one looked cool and one looked stupid, which one would you pick? Which really goes into your metal game. I mean, you know, I mean, if you like something, it's like bows, right? If you have an ugly bow, you might not feel as good about it as a bow that you really cherish and you think is beautiful. Yeah, and yeah, if you if you have if you have a super ugly bow and you're about to walk out on TV and shoot it and you're like, man, this thing's spray painted like off white and there's some plaster around parts of it and blah blah blah. Like you're not gonna feel cool about that, right? I mean, maybe you will. Maybe you'll be like, oh, this is my bow. This is cool. But yeah, the point the point being, there's there's almost nobody who would. Uh, take two things that are entirely equal in performance and not pick the one that they like the look of better. Yeah, so. typically anyway. I mean, you know, some people, like you say, they, they won't care too much, but some people will. All right. Um, there's uh, just a couple more questions. One of them is interesting. It's from Adam. It's, what's the best arrow to shoot at five meters from a compound for the World Archery Beat the Outbreak Challenge? 
Well, there's a lot of factors to consider here. Yes, there is. I mean, five meters. What's uh, your arrow speed, you know, diameter? How is your cut affected when going from the top of the eight and a half by 11 paper to the bottom of the eight and a half by 11 piece of paper? Uh, lighting conditions. Is your air conditioning on? Is Which it going to cast? Are you shooting bottom to top or top to bottom? Yeah, there's all sorts of factors involved. I mean, all right. What all, else can you? <laughs> all joking aside, though, I'm going to point out one thing. Um, you, you almost have to apply field archery bunny shot tuning to this particular thing. In other words, you don't have enough room for the for the arrow to stabilize, so you've got to have it leave the bow relatively consistently, and. Uh, I, you know, as far as what arrow to use, it's whatever tunes the best for that situation, uh, quite frankly. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's for fun that we're doing this archery challenge thing that WA has put on. And, you know, uh, some people will take it more seriously than others, but it's five meters. <laughs> you should be able to do it with bear shafts. Well, that brings us to our next point. I mean, you only have five meters to stabilize. So maybe we go back to Mike Pastilli's question. We say parabolic versus shield at five meters. Flu flus, parabolic flu flus at five meters. <laughs> yeah, six of them. <laughs> or, yeah. It'd be like a wiffle ball going down range. Yes. What's your, what's your speed decay at five meters? I don't know. Well, all right. Listen, I think that... Uh, uh, you know, for for another uh, pandemic podcast, we're we're just about out of time here. But I will point out that uh, next week we're going to have another special edition of the podcast. It's going to be with Tom Dillon from World Archery. We've got him lined up. We're going to be talking to Bruce Cull a little bit to get more insight as to uh, some of the stuff that's going on. But I'm, I'm kind of excited about the guest that I've got for that event next week, which is the new president of Easton. Did you hear about that? Yes. Yeah. I definitely heard about it. He's my, you know, he's my boss's boss now. So yeah. Um, and then we we have some we have quite a bit of stuff lined up. Truthfully, we're also going to talk to Ignacio Gomez Sancha, which uh, is the archer from Spain who's donating twenty thousand euro to COVID relief. Yeah, which is awesome. And yes. yeah. So you're going to interview him if uh, if we can't figure out a technical solution to get us all on the same thing at the same time, Steve. But. Uh, for sure, we're looking forward to hearing from him and his perspective and inspiration, maybe, for other people to do something similar. Yeah, I'm not expecting or asking anyone, you know, <laughs> or trying to pressure anyone to feel like they have to donate anything, let no. alone 20,000 euro. But we mostly wanted to highlight him just because what he's doing is awesome and he's from our community and uh, we can all be a part of it by sending him a video. So we'll, we'll get to him at some point. And uh, yeah, we got a good slate of stuff lined up. You know, not a whole lot of results to talk about. I do want to point out today's Friday, May 1st. It is 11.40 a.m. here Mountain Time, so 10.40 a.m. in Redding right now in a normal situation. Where you should be was, riding the elk right now. Uh, well, I'm a few days away from riding the elk, but uh, <laughs> we, we're, we're probably shooting at those stupid goats at like 57 yards down close to Swayze Drive in Redding, California. So everyone who's missing Redding, I challenge them on my uh, Facebook page to uh, go and boil a hot dog. If you've <laughs> ever been to Redding, if you've ever been to Redding, you'll know what that's all about. 
All right, Steve. Hey, you take care. And uh, everybody out there, continue to take care. Keep on keeping on. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Easton Target Archery Podcast. Cheers, George. End of show. End of show. <laughs>